What's up, everybody? On this episode of the Boston Ski Party, we are joined again by North American Product Manager of Nordica, Ethan Corpy. The first time we sat down with Corpy, we discussed ski production in Minnesota, Austria, and our conversation ran long enough that we needed a dedicated part two. So, Ethan joins us again in the studio to talk about ski boots, as well as the second part of our European adventure with Nordica. He's our first repeat guest on the Boston Ski Party, which, for a couple of amateur podcasters, is kind of a big deal. We get into all things ski boots and some of the structural dynamics of the Technica Group's ownership. Our convo leads into a discussion about the fifth-generation Doberman boot, which you only know about if you listened to the last episode with Corpy because I accidentally leaked it. My bad, dog. Then we get into Nordica's boot production, testing facility, to ultimately us gallivanting around northern Italy drinking spritz. George also joins me on this conversation to pick Corpy's brain in regards to his extensive boot knowledge. Ethan now has multiple podcasts under his belt, and it shows. Enjoy the show. Holla. It is what it is, man. 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 It's cheap, too. Bluskymaster.com Okay. Ethan Corby. What's back up, in the studio for part two, Boston Ski Party. Welcome back, bro. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, man. Where did you just land from? You just got off the plane, right? I just got off the plane, so I actually live uh, north of Chicago, Lake Forest, and yeah, I was commuting back to the office, and I called up these guys and said, hey, guys, I'm going to be back in town. They're like, perfect. Round, round two. Round two. Let's do it. We have, we have unfinished business from the first one, so this, is, this worked out great. And honestly, Berkowitz is like, do you think it's going to be weird? You know, having having Corby back on so soon, I was like, no, dude, because it's still fresh in the brain. What we yeah. did, you know, yeah, totally. if we go longer, it's just going to kind of get blurred in with everything else, and it's going to be like, oh, remember that? So now we can talk about it when when it's still kind of the forefront of the of the head here. So which which I think is the best way to do it. I, I agree, and I, I I mean Berkowitz, he's just you know Berkowitz. he's just being Berkowitz. He's nervous all yeah. the time. Yeah, where does that nervous energy come from? I don't know. Also, Corpy's been getting stopped on the street since his first episode. That's also true. Yo, are you that guy from the Boston Ski Party? I want to keep that that buzz going. <laughs> it's really important. I mean, to me. you should see the fan mail we've been getting. People are demanding to have you back on. And yeah, like, Berg, Bergwood said he, he he's like, yeah. Corpy said, hey man, like my fans are they're 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 hitting me up every day. Like, when's the part two? Like, they're you, you know cliffhanger. Yeah, we like, totally left him dangling, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear this thing through. And we got Giorgio here today to uh, to put his two cents on the boot part of the trip. Giorgio, what's up, bro? Only two cents, though. That's all mm-hmm. we got. That's all we got. Mm-hmm. All we got. So we ended the last pod. Basically, we talked about Austria. We talked about ski production. Um, it was fantastic. And we kind of ran out of time. I didn't want it to go too su- super long. So we kind of cut it a little bit short, knowing that we'd kind of get to part two. So it's part two. The second part of the trip that we did... Um, by we, I mean uh, myself, George, and Berkowitz um, going to Austria and Italy with Nordica skis. And we transitioned from Austria to Italy, which in Italy, there's the headquarters for the entire Technica group, Correct. which is, you know, Nordica is a part of. And then um, we got into a lot of the boot stuff. But, but before we, we get into the headquarters talk, I just want to go back to the pod, the first the first episode, because we talked a little bit about the the drive. We were starting to talk about the drive and it's just, I think it's worth mentioning because the, the drive from Austria to Italy is just, is really, really cool. And like, I, I didn't know that how cool it was. No, I've heard you guys talk about it before, but it's one of those drives that you do that I, anybody that travels to Europe should, should really do. Cause it's just the scenery alone and the transition of the scenery going from Austria South through Cortina is just insane. Yeah, it is incredible. Um, one of the first times I actually did it, I was with Alberto Contento, who's our who's our boot product manager. And I was, I was passed out sleeping in the car and he actually <laughs> woke me up and he was like, dude, like, you know, I know you probably need some sleep, but you, you like, you need to get up for this. And yeah, it, it's just incredible. You know, you kind of like, you're like, you're, you're hunting through the Alps there a little bit and you're like, what, where the heck are we going? And you're kind of like discombobulated and all yeah. of a sudden you get down into that Cortina Valley and it's just, it's just incredible. The mountains, they look different. I, I, I can't describe it. it. It just looks like different mountains. I've never seen mountains look like that. They're just like aggressively mean looking, and they just shoot straight out of the earth Dude. with like no vegetation. Yeah, totally vertical. It, yeah, they're, they're absolutely gorgeous. So in anyone who's, who's in that region or, or can, is lucky enough to spend time in that region, I highly recommend going to Cortina. It's awesome. Um, Olympics are going to be there, right? 2026? 
26. 26. Correct. Um, it definitely a place that, I mean, we were there in the summer, obviously, but just the town itself, it, it, we stopped there for, for, for cappuccinos and a little bit of pastry, which was awesome. But the town is, is super rad. I, I can't only imagine, like, the Olympics there in 26 is going to be it's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah. And the cool thing about Cortina for us, that's kind of like the unofficial, you know, place where everyone at the company goes skis. You know, it's about an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes north of our factory, or, or excuse me, in our factory, our headquarters down in um, – down in Italy, so it, it's you know natural that a lot of the a lot of people from the office, a lot of the testing in in winter testing happens up in Cortina. Mm-hmm. One of our head testers also lives up there as well, so it's it's a place that fortunately we get to ski a lot. Yeah, I mean it's that close to headquarters. It's it's gorgeous, and again, anyone who's listening, do the drive if if you get the opportunity to. I know it's a really lucky thing to say that I I've been able to do it, but it's it's really really cool, and I'm definitely I'm doing it again for sure. So. Go through the awesome Dolomites down to Italy, and we get to Giavra. Yeah, yeah. Giavra. Okay, Giavra is where we stayed, um, and where we stayed was is called the Relias, right? No, no, uh, the Relay Monaco. Re- Relay Monaco. Re- I was saying Relias. Relay Monaco. Okay. Yes. So the Relay Monaco, and it's like you pull it through. It's on like uh, there's almost like a vineyard in front, right? Correct. And it's like old school, like Roman feeling kind of entrance. And it's it's a badass place. Yeah, it's it's a, it's one of the coolest hotels. So like like you said, you get to drive through a vineyard on your on your entrance, right? There's a normal driveway, but why would you go on your normal driveway? Waste when the time. You could, yeah, no, I'll go through when the you vineyard. Drive through your vineyard, <laughs> and you know the grapevines are cascading over the mm-hmm. road and stuff like that. And you can't see the hotel except at the very end to this like little porthole. It looks like, and then you 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 come upon this this beautiful hotel out in the Italian countryside, and kind of the cool backstory behind that hotel actually is it's owned by the Benetton family who used to own Nordica. So after they sold it to the Zanatas, it's, it's kind of the home away from home for anyone who travels with the Technica group to stay there uh, for the Benetons, which they own a number of other businesses and, and ventures within the area. So it's, it's kind of where all their business associates and stuff, that's where they stay. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because it was something that we talked a lot about while we were there, you know, just in passing where we we're in the car or just kind of walking around the current ownership of, of the Nordica brand and Tekken group. And then the, the previous owner, the, the Benetons, and it just kind of kept coming up in conversation, which was, which was pretty rad, which we'll, we'll, which we'll get to. Um, but, and also it did feel like the Nordica crew was very, very comfortable there. I mean, everyone was like, they settled right in. Oh yeah. And the staff was, they knew you were there. They kind of, they, they knew everyone's kind of like vibe. They, they were, everyone kind of just got there and was like, Oh yeah, this is where, this is where we stay. Yep. Went right to the back patio, yes. ordered spritzes, yes. grabbed, a, grabbed a chair, and was like, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. We're, we're lounging. Yes. Yeah. No, they know the program. They keep the bar open late for us. When they see our names on the list, they're like, oh, boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. Stock the <laughs> Peronis. <laughs> well, <laughs> Stock the Peronis and spritz. They're coming in. I mean, the, the staff was, was cl- clearly well-versed. I, I have a kind of a funny story on how I know it was well-versed because the first day, the first breakfast that we were there, I was walking to breakfast, and – I sat down next to Sam Cook almost like at the same time. And basically I ordered a cappuccino right away. But the waitress was kind of like walking away from me and I didn't know if she heard me or whatever. And Sam didn't look up at all. He he was just like looking at his phone, head down, like staring super, you know, kind of like locked in. And then not a minute later she comes back with two cappuccinos and puts them on the table. And I was like, "Wow, that's fantastic service." Like this I didn't even know she she even heard me. You know, I, 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 I'm American. She's Italian. I right. yelled cappuccino. She brought it right over. This is fantastic. So as I you know, reach up to grab the cappuccino. This was so awesome. <laughs> reach up to grab the cappuccino. <laughs> Sam Cook looks up from his phone and just snaps both of them and slides them right over and right in front of him. Oh, and man. I was like, I kind of jumped back a little bit. And I, as I you know, realized my mistake, as I was going to apologize, he like cut me off and was like, look me dead in the eye. He goes, they know my order here. Get your own bitch. And he grabbed his cappuccinos <laughs> and he walked away. <laughs> he just walked. He just walked off. And I was like, "Jesus, dude! I just got alpha dogged at 8 a.m. by Sam Cook." Oh, I, and I was, I was, we were, I was a little hungover because the night before we were partying. I was a little, hungover, I was sweating, and now I was fucking rattled. I was super rattled. <laughs> to Waitress start the day. comes back. He's like, "All right, can I take your order?" <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't want anything. <laughs> no cappuccinos for Eric. And uh, yeah, I saw him like, "Wow, they definitely know." The, the Nordica crew, because Sam just got two cappuccinos and alpha B. So 
Well, I'll have to bring that up. Um, I'm headed up to the office right now. I'm going to march right into Sam Cooke's office and be like, hey, we, we need to talk. I think you have a little bit of an issue with, with caffeine. You told Eric to get his own. <laughs> bitch. And you call him a bitch. And you call him a bitch. Uh, so that was a good way to start the day. And I was like, wow, this is, this is getting live. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about, about the Benettons and the Zanatos real quick, because you, you had mentioned it. And I, I think it's really cool on how, how the, the whole brand story goes. Um, so obviously the hotel was owned by the Benettons. Now, when, it was, when the Zanatos purchased it, um, was Nordica making skis at the time? Nordic had just started making skis. Okay. I, th I think, and this is where my, my history is just a little bit hazy, and I, I might get the years wrong, a year or two or whatever it is, but I think it was in, in 2000, maybe it was, maybe it was even, 90, it was maybe 99, uh, they launched skis. I don't know if you guys remember Amat skiing around when those skis with a question mark on them. Okay. You know, so yep. he was skiing in Nordic boots, and then he had these, these blacked out skis with a question mark on them. And yeah. They, they were, in fact, Nordica skis. Um and interestingly enough, the Benettons at the time also owned Kessley. So it was kind of like this transition between, you know, going from Kessley Nordica to just exclusively building Nordica skis. So it's not like we were starting from, from zero or, or, or no place. Uh, so, yeah, they were actually launched under the Benetton family. And then when the Zanatas bought them in 2002, I believe, we were already up and running with our ski projects. Okay. And, and Got it. Got that, it. That, that makes a little more sense. I, again, we talked... Uh, George, myself, Matt, and you, when we were on the show, we talked a lot about, about that, and it's kind of a little hazy for me, so that clarifies it. Um, where, where were the skis? Maybe you, maybe you remember, George, but before the, the Austria switch, where was Nordica making those skis? So there were there was a multiple different factors, I, I believe. Again, this is where my, his, my history is a little bit hazy. We're, we're doing OEM business. I know Elan built a lot of our skis um, leading up to before we moved over to Mittersell, which had, didn't happen, I think, until 2007. So there was, it was yeah. that, that almost 10-year period where we were doing a lot of stuff at Elan and a couple other factories, some locally in Italy, obviously, for R&D and stuff like that, for, for um, rapid prototyping and stuff like that. But, you know, again, I'll, I'll have to ask some of, the, some of the guys who've been in the company a little bit longer. But, yeah, we did not own our own ski factory until we moved into the Mittersell facility. Got it. And um, uh, Kessley went away for a little while, didn't they? Gone, yeah. Yeah, and was was that to make room for producing Nordica skis? Yeah, Did the Benetton shut that down. They uh, they shut it down. And I think they just sold the name. Got it. You Got know, it. I think they <clears throat> they just chopped it off, and yeah, like I said, it, it it's lived its second life, obviously since since then. It's its in, own independent ski brand now, but yeah, they they chopped it off and sold it, and it moved forward with just one brand. Okay, so when they they had they buy Nordica. Skis and boots. Skis are being made. Um, they obviously had Technica Correct. at the time. Um, and Rollerblade, maybe, also? Correct. And when did Blizzard come around? When did that happen? So I think that, that came around in 2000, 2006, I believe, was when that, that transition happened. If you guys remember that, that Technica was distributed with Vocal Marker at the time. Right. right? Mm -hmm. It was that. And... From my understanding, the way that the ownership with Vocal worked, you know, they didn't they didn't actively have kind of Salesforce. They didn't they didn't have you know kind of those those country subsidiaries set up for selling. They they built really good skis and and then they sold them to these these distributors throughout the throughout the world. And right. they had pretty much an exclusive contract with um, with the Technica Group to to be able to do that, or with the Technica Salesforce and agencies. And in long story short, the owners of Vocal they sold. And that kind of fractured this this whole green agreement apart. So naturally, it left Technica without having a ski brand, yeah, um, yep. which was an important part of the business. And yep. and so I think it was an opportune time, just as you know, they were looking for a ski brand, of course, and then we were also looking for for a factory to start producing skis. You know, we yep. we felt like we were um, we were paying probably too much for for skis out of the Elan factory. We also felt like they were ripping off our designs a little bit at the yeah, time. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we were like, you know what? Here's a great opportunity to buy this factory in Mittersill. Wow. So, yeah. So Nordica, Nordica was part of like the Technica group, I guess, before Blizzard was. And then that factory gets purchased. So Nordica has a place to build skis. And then Technica has a, a ski partner. Brand. Has wow. a ski brand. Yeah. Kind of yeah. a perfect storm. Kind of a perfect storm. Yeah. You, you couldn't really script it probably too much better. And... What did the what did the Benettons do? Where how did they get their start? How did that work? 
I'm not exactly sure where the Benettons first started their like you know, uh, you know, Italian dominance <laughs> in in every factory. But I mean, obviously, everyone knows United Colors of Benetton, right? Mm-hmm. They used to be a big big clothing chain in the U.S. They they still distribute, obviously, uh, in Europe. We actually went to when we were walking around to Rizzo after we went to Alberto's house there. Mm-hmm. Sick uh, house, by the way. Yeah, right. So sick. Like that was the best. Best spritz. I mean, we had a lot of spritz on our trip. That was that was the best. I think that yeah. that was a, that was the top of the spritz chain right there. That was that was top of food chain spritz. At, at and no measuring that they were doing. They just know it's all a feeling. They got yeah. the vibe dialed. Dude, when we when we were last here, he, when he came through, he showed me photos of the house that when he bought it, I didn't I didn't believe him. Oh yeah, I, it looked like it was falling into the earth. Like it was just like a dec- it was like completely like you can't. It, Radioactive, like you can't come, you can't come past the wall. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then what it looks like now, you would never guess that's what it looked like. It's, it's super, yeah, super. And it was like three or four years he spent renovating this house, and like you said, it was like a ruin. You know, the roof was collapsed in and everything, and him and his wife did a lot of the work themselves, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like this beautiful Italian villa now. It's awesome, and and the and how close it is to downtown was also a little bit was kind of funny because when you're in his little neighborhood, you're this awesome little Italian villa. You feel like you're like far away from any city center. You're like, oh, this is so nice. This is relaxing. This is cool. And then five minute walk, we're like crossing over the the the, the, the river, and you're like in it. Yeah, that was awesome. That what was one spot. of my that was one of my favorite parts of that trip. Just you know, everyone was relaxed. Everyone mm-hmm. was comfortable with each other at that point, and the spritz. They yeah, were, they were flowing. <laughs> they were flowing. <laughs> well, spritz you guys, will do that. It will. I mean, and that's when you guys hooked us up with a crazy awesome gift too. When you guys gave us the the wine glasses, which was really cool. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, really, really cool. So people that are listening, we went to Alberto's house. Obviously, his friend, his childhood friend, Alberto's childhood friend, was actually like an old Italian, centuries old glass blower um engraver kind of guy and uh the nordica crew took us over there to to see his shop which is really cool anyways he had done some of the old um not maybe not old but he had done some ski world cup trophies out of glass which is really cool yep and then um they you guys gave us basically our own wine awesome red wine goblet glass with our with the ski monster logo on it and our names on it with a little nordica which was pretty sick that was pretty funny i mean it, it was a cool shop i mean it's it's you know the, these techniques that they've been using to etch these these wine glasses been around for thousands of years right and we take you guys in there and you guys are looking around you guys are like cool like what the hell are we doing in here <laughs> I, like, I this thought was, it was cool you're like this is cool but like we're spending like an awkward amount of time <laughs> checking out this little shop here you know, and you guys were like, cool, they make the crystal globes here. Like, all right. Like, I kind of felt like the longer I was going to stay in there, the sooner I was going to bump into something and break something. And yeah. Be, right. Y- like, y- yeah. yeah. I mean, y- yeah, you're right. It was an awkward amount of time. I mean, I- it was still really fun. I didn't really think anything of it, but you're, you're correct. Like, towards the end of the time we were there, I was like, all right, we're, we've been here a while. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> what are we what are we actually doing it's here been right 38 <laughs> minutes since i've had a drink so let's let's speed this way long. too long and, yeah. then, and then of course you came out and we, we opened the glass i was like oh this is really really cool this yeah. is really, i get why we came here now. yeah yeah i get it but then we had to carry around the the box for us the trip which was fine but also not a little nerve-wracking a little nerve-wracking yeah. yeah traveling with it carrying around whatever so so that was our better ourselves. But back to what we were talking about. So United Colors of Bones, when we were in Treviso. Oh, that's right. So the only reason why I brought that up is they, they have one of their flagship stores there. But the interesting thing about the Benettons, too, they actually own the Autostrada in Italy. Okay. So all, all the main highways, like the A4, for example, A26, all those Autostradas that you, you see, and then also the Auto Grills, those, that, that is owned by that family. Uh, and then there's also five kids, and they also own one of their other big businesses, the fiber optic cables that run underneath all the highways. So they they double down, they get all your your tolls for driving on the highway, obviously, and then also all the a lot of the telecommunications yeah. that are run in Italy. So these guys are they're just they're they're smart and they have a lot of cash. Yeah, they're everywhere. And you know, at, at one point, one of the one of the sons of of the father, he wanted to buy a ski company, so. You're going to buy a ski company and you're Italian. You should probably just buy a Nordica. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was during a time when Nordica had some incredible branding and marketing going on. We had an, we had an Indy car. We had a GP moto car. Oh my God. GP moto bike. I mean, just incredible amounts of investment. I mean, way more so than obviously, you know, the ski industry could, could profitably bear. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but they they did some really cool stuff and you know built up a lot of the R and D machines. For example, that when we were walking through yeah, R and D, yeah. like the flex testers and this, yeah. you know, the thing that sprays like the cold water, the, you know, the salt water on all the stuff. The, the machine that opens and closes the buckles. Those guys developed that stuff in the nineties and they're in the early two thousands. Interesting. Yeah. So that came along with the Nordica brand because that that was a pretty big part of HQ. I mean, that that was a big. There's two, I think, rooms like pretty big rooms and every single boot or I'm sure every single boot, but every, every single machine was like, was operating. It was oh, yeah. testing the stuff. It was, it was really cool. I got a lot of cool photos and videos of it, but it's like a flex test and like temperature check test. I mean, nothing is, nothing is missed. They have a test for everything that can possibly happen. Like as a boot is being flexed, there's water spraying into it to make sure that the boots waterproof so yep. you stay warm when you're out there. And then it also flexes appropriately. And then like, does it last a long time? Does it last how long we think that it should? I mean, right. just the, the, the thinking that goes into everything is amazing. Yeah. And the investment. And I didn't realize that until you just said it, but that's a huge investment to do that. And yeah. it, it takes a family that has five robbed cables under the highways <laughs> to do the, do the investment. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially, I mean, with these automated machines, we're talking about, you know, yeah. in the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, it's not like, not like it is now with, you know, how much easier and how much more accessible this technology is. So, you know, it, that really kind of laid the groundwork for, for building some of the best boots that we ever built. And, and one of the things that the Benetton did is they designed the original Doberman. And that was the thing that just like was totally different at the time when we came out with it. And, you know, every other company after that copied the Doberman like you had to. Um, mm-hmm. There was, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of I would kind of say basic old school boots being built at the time and we came out with something totally revolutionary at the time and you know kind of it catapulted us into a little bit of a different direction which is it's been now i think you've you've told me about like the original doberman project before uh for those listening corpy and i talk about ski boots uh on the reg pretty often um he uh he knows a lot and i i recall one story with this doberman project um where it was an individual team hired for every single size Correct. of the boot to make every size as fast as possible. So instead of like one team that would kind of be over everything and then things get kind of like, uh, you know, blown up or shrunk down, it was. Correct. Yeah. So the, the original Doberman, the one that, would, that launched in 1999, each individual boot was its own project. Each, like even the sole length and dimensions were totally different on everything. Everything had a just different sculpting, different shape, everything, like you said, to just optimize for that size, you know, the yeah. best possible product, uh, it, you know, for production and manufacturing, spare parts, stuff like that, it created just absolute, you know, headaches down the line. But for building, you know, at the time, just a perfect ski boot, it was the way to do it. It was really cool. Like you said, it was an independent development team, you know, working on these things at multiple times. It's one of the things, again, that the that the Benetton family brought to, um, you know, building ski boots, and and that's how the Doberman ended up being one of the most successful projects. You know, yeah. I think probably in, in ski boot history, just of of how much further it brought not only the brand but everyone else along with them um, on the, on the performance or learning or knowing how to build a performance ski boot. Yeah, and we we witnessed that when we were there. And we kind of blew it up on the pod by mistake, but it was kind of cool to say it, but not even knowing that I was saying something I wasn't supposed to say. But you guys are making, we, we saw some Doberman bootliners getting made, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as we leaked on the last podcast, thanks, Eric. No uh, problem. <laughs> us up there. Breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. Uh, that, yeah, we're, we're we relaunching did. Doberman this year. We have a new Doberman 5, which has been in the works for a long time. And it, definitely one of the most challenging seabots to build in terms of an R&D perspective. I mean, the, the amount of attention to detail, the testing, and, the, you know, the science behind it is, is incredible, right? Because there's nothing else matters in that environment other than how fast you can get down the mountain from point A to point B. Right. It's not, you know, fit necessarily. It's not, you know, what your pre- preconceived notions are about what, what is going on here. No, it's go point A to point B as fast as possible. And... It, it kind of sounds easy, but it's it's not. There's so many different factors that go into not only building boots, but the support of skiing that needs to come out in that project. And you know, you got to keep these guys balanced. And you know, they're big, they're strong, and they're skiing at rock hard surfaces. 
and you have to have to keep everything in balance and in check. And that's the really challenging thing about building those foods. Well, yeah. I mean, everything that goes into it too, which was, we saw a little bit of that. I mean, just from the liner perspective, because that was on full display, but I mean, every single step was like two or three different pieces that they were sewing on. And it was, you're like, I can't believe they do this for every, every single liner. And they do. It was yes. crazy. Yes. It's, it's incredible. This, the ski boot liner, yeah, I, I think a half pair of Dobermans has like 48 pieces or something like that, just in, in a half pair of a, of, a, of a liner. Jesus. Which is like half the number of pieces that goes into like a pro machine or a speed machine. Those are I, was, I was just going to say, yeah. like when you're like, the Doberman liner is crazy, but like if you actually look at like the pro machine or speed machine liner, there is a lot going on. In one of those, there's a exactly, and they're just there's more components, there's more technology. I mean, mm -hmm. Doberman, it's you know you're just trying to kind of match the shape of the shell in your foot, like you just want to be as close as possible. So there's not a lot of extra room for for you know kind of technology or or insulating materials or anything like that. But when you get into you know, like a pro machine or a speed machine, that's where you can make you can do some cool shit with a liner. So what is um, so Nordica makes you know every single type of ski boot from, you know, entry level, even rental stuff all the way up to, uh, world cup boots. How does like uh, a speed machine or developing a speed machine or pro machine differ from, uh, Doberman? Um, well, the, the cool thing about the Doberman, which is, which would, which may also makes it the hardest part. You're just, you're, you're building it for athletes. You're building to that, the, the highest, the highest end of the sport. It gets, also really challenging to start to build everything i would say kind of for the masses right like in, in terms of fit in terms of performance in terms of stance right there's so many different feet out there there's so many different skiing styles there's so many different size feet and you know calf circumferences and stuff like that so mm -hmm. that's when you start to get to this okay what should the ramp angle be what should the forward lean be how you know what's what's a hundred millimeter what's a medium volume boot you know you have think about the the, the target and also what, what else do you have in your line you're like well i can't kind of feel like a sport machine it can't kind of feel like a, a pro machine it's got to feel like a speed machine right so it has to have its place yeah it's got to have its place exactly so you know that's that's when it gets really challenging and and that's where it's kind of like this this half science and you know kind of half art form of right. of building boots that you know you, you need you need that know you need that know-how that ex expertise and, and that experience of doing it multiple times uh but also having stuff like really sweet r&d facilities be able to pull it off yeah. I mean, <clears throat> what's like to, to kind of piggyback what you just said as far as like that balance, right? I mean, obviously boots have changed so much since say the 90s, since when the Doberman came out late 90s, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so what would, from your perspective, what's the biggest change, you know, f that you've seen from say when that Doberman came out, say 99 to, to now and how, how the boots are made and why they're made that way? I would say, I would have to actually say the fit. I mean, and there was, there was hit or mint fits and, and that, that came from, you know, kind of poor designs or, you know, different molding capabilities. I mean, the molding capabilities that we have now are so much tighter. You know, if you look at an original Doberman, there's like a gap on the instep in between, you know, where the shell overlaps. Mm -hmm. Now you look at it, they're like perfectly tight, not just from Nordica, from all brands. But, you know, the technology that we are using, the plastics that we're using, the, all the know-how is just advanced that much further. Uh, so I think that really the fits and... And the consistency that we're able to bring, you know, to a product line, I think those are those are two probably the biggest step forward. I would say in the last fifteen years, twenty years, but you know, there's there's so much to unpack there in yeah, terms yeah. of a fit. I mean, everybody builds fairly good fitting ski boots right now, um, which is not was not the case twenty years ago. You know, you can think about like five. That were yeah. actually really good fitting boots. And I think if you go back even like a little further than 20 years, then we get into when straight skis were like super dominant and shape skis were just starting to happen. And I mean, that was, how long did it take for boost to catch up to shape skis actually being out there? Do you think? I would say 15 to 20 years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like no joke. I'm starting to think about like when ski boots started getting really good. And I think it was it was right around that 2010, 2011, 12 period. When oh, that boots, is so late. Yeah, they really started. Late. They didn't really start getting like you know skiing well, being comfortable, and and even even during that period, you know, you had a lot of boots out there, um, you know, with cocktail clips on them and they're toting them as, as high performance. You know, yeah. you still see that guy is like banging around <laughs> in some old beater boot that he 
Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, yeah. I, I mean, again, the boots now, like you said, Corby, everyone seems to be making a boot that fits. It 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 skis really well. I mean, from when George and I first started selling ski boots, thinking about that back in the day, right? Back in the day. But like the Nordica hot rod boot, thinking about how that boot fit oh, ski by comparison to what's now. Or like the Technica, yeah. you know, the the uh, the even the Dragon, like something yeah. like that. How that fit and what that was marketed as, and and that, that didn't fit well at all. Yeah, <laughs> and what they have now, it's it is crazy, and that wasn't even that long ago. Now, you know, one thing that's pretty crazy about like uh, Nordica boots and um, uh, that stayed true throughout all of these years is like if you hold a Nordica or a Technica boot in your hand, the fit and finish of those things is night and day in comparison to whatever Solomon Lang atomic you're going to have in your hand. Like, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast, like next time, like you have the ability to hold a Nordica next to a Solomon, like the detailing on the buckles, the detailing on the, the plastic. And then you take out the liners we were just Mm -hmm. talking about. And that is just like a joke. The thing that's like hugging your foot, making contact with the shell with your foot, keeping you happy. Like it is a complete work of, art and there's so many pieces and it's like actually like like beautiful like it looks awesome yeah like everything about a nordica boot looks good it does and you look at like a uh you know an atomic boot and you're like "Eh, eh, that's all right (laughs) yeah it's not it's not this i mean solomon too for as many boots as solomon sells it's incredible but if you put it like george said side by side it's not even close well yeah and then you know like a nordica technica and a lang i think Corpy, tell me if you disagree, but I think those three boots, you could make a, a pretty strong argument that those are the highest performing boots of the bunch. And then you have Nordica and Technica boots that are the highest performing, and the fit and finish is the most ridiculous. And then they're priced the same as everybody else's that are less lesser performing and lesser fit and finish. And, you know, like going through the factory, it just like says again, like, God, this should cost so much more than it does. I know. I, I know we've said that a bunch, and we're going to continue to say it, but it, it really should. It's crazy. I mean, there's a picture in the blog um, that I posted after our trip, and it's a dude chiseling at a, a mold. And the part of the mold that he's working on is the spoiler that's, that's right. going on the boot. Yeah. I, that's right. I feel so bad about ever throwing a spoiler I away, know. knowing <laughs> that this dude is working so hard to produce this thing. And he was redoing the mold to make sure that it attached perfectly so it'd be easier for the user to do it. <clears throat> that's right. So we have this new two-step spoiler that we have coming out for the new Doberman to, to change. Like, you know, it can be one degree or 1.5 degree, and it kind of clicks in and out. And the click wasn't just, it, it w- wasn't perfect. You know, it wasn't the, the way that it was going. So we were walking through the factory and we we're walking through the, the, the area where they update and change molds. And they they were working on this one part and piece when, when we were walking by, which is very fortunate. I walked to that room a bunch and, you know, I can count on one hand how many times I've seen someone actually grinding on a mold. It's like one of the coolest things. It was They're awesome. Sculpting it's awesome. Piece yeah. of aluminum. You're like, holy shit. Yeah, Dude, yeah. it looks yeah. like something like the Avengers like have to like steal to like save <laughs> yeah. save the Earth. Like, I mean, it's it's big. You yeah. know, it's this and it's they're it's heavy. heavy. Dude, it's over a hundred pounds. Yeah, and meanwhile, you know, the, it, they ship to a retail store and some kid takes out of the box and just throws it in. The oh trash. no, you don't need this fucking thing. <laughs> Fuck this. Yeah, can you imagine if Giuseppe uh, saw you? Throwing oh those no! Over? Like, like, Mamma mia! <laughs> That's a spoiler. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad George brought that up because something I picked up on when we were there, and maybe I'm crazy and you can tell me, but you guys mentioned it a few times and I kind of caught it and I, I hung on to it a little bit and I thought it was kind of cool. But you guys talked a lot about, about the skew guy, like the skew guy, like the, like the guy that like has to build a skew for every single part. And yeah, it's like the dude in Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not crazy. Okay. Because you mentioned a couple times and then, you, and then someone would say, oh, we should do this and someone's like oh it's got to be a new skew and then we walked by the guy's <laughs> office and there's like a line of people with like all their new ideas and the guy just has like all these computer screens and like that's the guy that's the guy that has to create the fucking skew every time someone has an idea about changing anything yeah so you know like like those stables commercials and it was like the yes button or whatever it was <laughs> yeah that guy's just got the big no button <laughs> yeah so the, the reason why this the skew guy is just kind of like you probably heard it or picked up on it. it's kind of like a running joke it's like oh man another skew you know you talk to these guys like you're like you know you're asking them to like i don't know like change the rotation yeah, can we like change or something yeah. like that yeah. you know yeah. but you're like no i'm just trying to change the buckle color guys <laughs> but you know that's that's the thing we're talking about there's there's two different 
kind of skews. There's the overall product code, right, that that represents the actual finished good. But then each individual piece and part that goes into the into a project has an has a SKU number as well. Yeah. So that's that management side of it that it just becomes such a headache. And that's why you saw a line of guys outside his office and it's like, no, we're changing from, you know, cork with, you know, <laughs> a 150 grade down to a, a, a 125 because it fits a little bit better, you know? So they have to go to the SKU office and, yeah. you know, make sure that that's the all. The guy's like pulling his hair out. He's like, I, what the heck? How many more SKUs do you guys need? And like, there's like a whole line of people with yeah, stuff, he's, he's, all these ideas. Like, well, we need a new SKU if we're going to build, build a part. Yeah. Which I thought that was kind of it, it makes sense, obviously. Right. But in the moment, hearing you guys kind of bitch about it was kind of was pretty funny. You're like, oh yeah, that, that would be a pain in the butt every time you want to make a slight change. Yeah, that's the first thing we hear about too. It's like, oh, got to skew off. Another thing that was cool um, when we were walking through that obviously had no idea, and nobody would unless they were walking through, you know, a boot factory. Is that the, those bags of colored pellets that that give the shell their color? Right. Like. And you guys were saying, oh, yeah, these are, you know, this is for blah, 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 blah. These are for boots. These are for these boots. And I think you said each bag makes like a thousand boots or something like that. Yep. But the bags cost like 20 grand. Yeah. So the, the, what you're referring to is the colorized palette. So you have, you have plastic in its, in its raw form, which is clear. Um, and that's not $20,000 a bag. I think it's probably 5000 a bag or something like that. I can't, I can't remember. The, the, the price on plastic is just Same. absurd, especially the quality and the grade that you need to have the properties to basically be thin, be light, but then also take the temperature and then also the stress that you know a binding puts on it or a skier puts on it. To get color into that, that's where you have those those really expensive blends of plastic they were talking about, right? So we had like, you know, the greens and the purples and stuff like that. And that's why sometimes you'll, you'll see a, a color used multiple times within a company's boot line, right? Because, you know, you're, you're not going to invest necessarily or, you know, figure out the, the process for, a you know, a plastic that you're going to run on a boot that you're going to sell maybe globally 5,000 pairs of, and you just use it for that one, one boot color. So, you know, you try to use it in two to three different places to be able to actually have it. So it doesn't, you know, sit on the shelf and rot and economies of scale and stuff like that. So it's, it's an interesting process, but yeah, that's, that's expensive stuff. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot more sense that, you know, a company picks a color and like, Oh, this is what we're, this is going to be kind of this red for a long time. Cause we got, we got a warehouse full of $20,000 bags of oh. plastic. Oh yeah. I remember you guys were like, I'm, I really want to like run my hands through it. And I'm like, well, you kind of have like oil on your hands and just don't touch it. Just don't, you know, just don't touch it. Because it, it, it doesn't look like anything special. No. You just, you would just walk right by it. It, yeah. it, it looks like a bag of mulch, really. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just sitting there. Yeah, we could have been at Home Depot. Yeah, could have been mulch. Yeah, kind of looks like Home Depot. And you're standing there and you're like, man, this is, this is the boot plastic. Then it's 20. If someone takes a fork, uh, and a forklift and slices one of these bags open. Oh like, my God. They're in trouble. <laughs> you got, you gone. <laughs> you long gone. Uh, and I remember when we were there, you, you know, no, no production really, no injections were happening there. Right. No. But I, I remember you saying that they were going to bring some equipment back, um, to start injecting shells again. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of them is, is that, that quality control that you guys, you know, you guys witnessed, right. You know, that one of the, you know, go back to your question and your comment about how we have this incredible finish on our boots and, you know, fit and finish. And, and that, that just goes back to, we've been doing this for a really long time on the ski boot side of things. There's yeah. a lot of expertise in that building and there's so much passion. Like we build skis and ski boots. We don't do anything else. We, we own rollerblade, we own Loa, but those are, those are R and D facilities that are located in other places. We just do skis and ski boots. So it's this obsession with, you know, always trying to do the best job. And, and, you know, we're, we're very specialized, but we're also very lucky because we're specialized because we get to go in as deep and, and hard as possible on that. Um, you know, and, and for that reason is why we're going to start to bring some of our injection back in, you know, with our really high end stuff and, and, and do it again on site because, you know, for, for R and D reasons, we, we build the molds, but then we have them injected locally with some other brands and stuff like that. Other brands that are, also testing or building their molds uh, offsite like we do, and we're feeling like we're we're getting knocked off a little bit in terms of some of the ideas that we're bringing. Yeah, I remember you saying that to market. So we're going to protect ourselves a little bit against that, but then also too just the, those really high end quality products that we need to have on demand a little bit more, like a World Cup race boot. You know, hey, one of our athletes, Dominic Paris, comes in and wants something a little stiffer, a little softer for the next World Cup weekend. It's 
Let's do this. Yeah. Dude, so in as we were going through, there was um, one of the World Cup rooms where they do whatever boot fitting stuff. Oh, yeah. And there's um, athlete molded feet, ankles, and legs. Like it's a, a, the ones I saw were wooden. Are they all wooden? No. No, I think that's a really old one. Okay. Is, is what you were looking at. Okay. Uh, so um, some athletes that uh, Nordica has, maybe some other brands do this, I don't know, but you mold literally like a cast of them to the exterior mold. The internal mold, the internal last will be, you know, basically shaped. You know, Dominic Paris has his own ski boot, for example. It like true custom. Like true, that's... True custom. Yeah. True, I mean, it kind of looks like a Frankenstein boot, to be honest. I mean, it, it's it's pretty raw. Uh, it, it, it's black, and we put the same buckles on it and stuff like that. So it's, it, it you know, it, it's a Nordica. We designed, developed it and stuff like that. But it's such unique. I mean, we're talking about a guy who weighs like 225 pounds and... You know, you know, can squat probably six hundred pounds. You Jesus know, so it's Christ. You, you know, <laughs> like like hammering down Kitzbühel at seventy miles an hour, right? So, like, yeah. I'm sorry, the Pro Machine One Thirty is not really going to hold that no. program together. Um, right. So, you know, he's got his own custom. He's got his own custom deal, yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know exactly in the process, but they definitely scan his foot and then also build him a last based on that scan. And you know, that's to get the most uniform shape. You want to maintain that that thickness of plastic in a boot as much as you can. Anytime you're grinding and punching, you're changing the dexterity of the plastic and of the shape. Right. You know, if you're trying to win World Cups, you definitely don't want to do that. You want to maintain that body, that wall of plastic as much as possible. Oh, yeah. it performs the best. Yeah, and it would change how the energy is being transmitted to the edges too, yeah. Absolutely. You know, a little different than busting out groomers at Stowe. (laughs) No. So <laughs> not the way I ski. Yeah. So how many boots would a dude like him have? You know, I think it probably depends on you know kind of the time of year, the project, what's what he's what he's trying to get accomplished for that year. I bet they're building him ten to fifteen pairs of boots a year. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Wow. You know, may, maybe less now that he's a little older. He knows exactly what he wants. I mean, there's there's kind of you know he's 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 working on tactics. He's not trying to fix his skiing. He's like you know. I'm not gonna. I'm you know you're gonna not gonna teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing, but you, yeah. you know he becomes a little bit smarter, so he figures out how to do it. That's where he's at in his career. So he's probably not going through maybe 15 pairs, but if we're coming with a new project or trying something new, it could be even 20. I mean, it, it's it's a lot. Yeah, that yeah. is a lot. So that's why they're probably trying to plan to bring back like a smaller scale kind of facility. Correct. Not, so all the all the large scale production is still going to stay off site, and they're just going to have basically like a facility where like, hey, if we need to churn out. 50 pair, 60 pair of whatever, they can just do it on the spot. And then also some of our higher end retail stuff, you know, yeah. that's, that's one of the, one of the things that we want to get back uh, into place to bring some of that production back on site. And when I mean pr- production, just injection, right? So the only thing we don't do is, is injection on site in, right. in Italy specifically. We stitch liners. You guys saw that. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, you know, the capabilities do everything else. Um, everything else is done at Hungary. You know, we, we, set up the project, we build the molds, we, you know, test it, we actually run, um, you know, production timing, testing, everything's done in Italy. And then once everything's finalized, after we do that first run of boots, everything gets shipped off to Hungary. And most of the production is is done for both Nordic and Tenica there. Got it. And again, really good to have that back in Italy if you needed to make a change, which, which is pretty cool. Exactly. Really pretty cool. I mean, it, it was always there at one point though, was it not? I remember you, I thought you guys, when, when we were walking through, you had said that the for a time it was always in that, in that facility somewhere. Yeah. You guys remember when we were walking to lunch and there was like that, it was like a big warehouse building on the, on the right hand, not the warehouse that we went into to check out, but another one that was a, that was full production facility when I first started working for Nordica. Okay. I you know there was so not even that, not that long ago. Yeah. Not that long ago. We, we took it out probably 10 years ago and yeah, so it's, you know, eight eight, 10 years ago, maybe okay. we took that out. So bringing it back. You know, you mentioned with him, uh, Dominic Perry being in like how a pro machine, you know, 130 wouldn't be enough boot. And a lot of my skiing is on, you know, like a pro machine 130, uh, RX 130 LV or the Mach 130 LV. And you guys this year sent me um, the Doberman GP 130. And uh, <laughs> that boot is so much more boot than those other ones. Right. And, um, <laughs> we were at, we were skiing in, uh, uh, Stowe and 
I had that thing out and I had it all dialed in fit wise, all that stuff feeling good. And even though that thing says 130, I'm sure some people know like flex index isn't standardized or anything, but like this is a night and day different animal. And I've never felt like I was in way too much boot before. And, you know, I was still in, you know, full metal laminate skis, but you know, I'm not even trying to like fully bend or arc a ski. And that thing is like fully bent. I can feel the ski flexing way too much in front. And that was kind of a unique feeling to have. I've never really felt like I've ever been in too much boot. That's a really interesting point. And I think that's one of the most common, and I want to say like issues that I see out there on the hill is, is people don't match their boots with their skis. You see that quite frequently. You see something that's totally undertuned for, you know, a ski with two sheets of metal on it, right? You know, you're, you've got someone out there with a, you know, 100 flex, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and you're trying to push around a, a one, 186 enforcer with oh, two yeah. sheets of metal. Oh, yeah, doesn't work. Like, well, and that's, you know, you're not transmitting any energy, any, any power. And then you also have the opposite case when you have, you know, a, a race boot that's designed to, to push, you know, a ski. Now, you know, it has two sheets of metal, but it's, you know, instead of 0.4 millimeters, it's, it's point, point <laughs> yeah. six, point six, point eight. you know, yeah. so twice as much metal as ski with a thicker wood core and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to pull just a, a super tight radius. So, you know, you can have a boot that's, that's overpowered for a ski, uh, which, which I think you're experiencing. Yeah. And it's something we get that gets glazed over at Absolutely. a consumer level when you're, when you're buying stuff too. But like, I think it, it happens much more so on the boots being under powered for the ski, Agreed. you know, they spend mm-hmm. all the money on the ski and then yeah. they don't get enough and they kind of forget like, um, you know, a ski boots job, great if it fits your foot, but its purpose is to make a, a ski bend. And yeah. if you don't have enough, uh, something with enough integrity to transmit the energy from you through the boot to the binding, you're not getting anything out of it. Agreed. And then what's a real bummer is like when they blame the ski, oh, the ski isn't good enough. Like, bro, your boots, you're in a fucking 60 flex boot, dude. Yeah. yeah. What are you even doing? Right. Change your boot. What the fuck? You're floating out there, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't get the Enforcer 100 to do what it's supposed to do. You it, you physically can't do it. The boot can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Hammer around down there. And one, <laughs> Try nine, as hard nine, as you want. It's never going to happen. Yeah, 90 flex boot. You're like, yeah. oh, man. Just floating. It's not really coming around like I want to. The ski's yeah. chattering a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the ski yeah. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that dude at Ski Monster told me the wrong ski. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, dude. It was definitely your fault. <laughs> Uh, you, you, you mentioned it. So I want to, I want to, I want to bring it up again because it, it was, it was something that was a small part of what we did there, but I thought it was really impressive was the warehouse. Oh, dude. The warehouse is, is really cool. Yep. And I mean, it's not like a, you, we really shouldn't have been in there to be honest with you No, because it was, it was, it was fairly dangerous. And those guys are hustling on those forklifts. Like if you're not, if you don't have your head on a swivel, like you, you might get, just get wiped out, bro. Watch out. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually, and I think I kind of spoiled it for a lot of people also too in the company. I was there like three weeks before we were there, maybe about a month before. And I was, I was like, made the guys, I'm like, guys, I need to go down to the warehouse and check to see what's going on. As, as everyone knows in the ski industry, making sure that your stuff's getting produced and supplied to your customers this year is a big deal, right? Oh yeah. Inventory levels were depleted last year. It was such a, you know, hot commodity to have, you know, obviously ski procs and, and it got drained and, you know, shops are looking to reload and, and, you know, we're, we're running it damn close to, to factory capacity on both on the boots and skis. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's really clamoring to get their stuff. So I was like, you know, take, take me out of the warehouse. Show me what you guys have going on. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of was like, you know, they're like, put on this vest and I was just kind of like holding it and, you know, not, not really paying attention. They're like, it's dangerous. I'm like, well, what, what warehouse isn't dangerous? I get yeah. it, you know? And they truly can't see you. And I almost got squashed by someone carrying like three pallets of ski boots. He didn't see me obviously because he had three pallets of, yeah. of you know boots in, in front of him and he almost squashed me. So, and, and multiple people at the company almost witnessed this. And so I felt bad for you guys. I mean, it was like, you know, high alert. I mean, the, the, yeah. the story of the American almost getting killed in the Italian <laughs> they, they, spread through the company. Yeah. Like I mean, they had us, they had us on high alert and we had, we wore the vests and everything and oh, they, yeah. We had like a safety meeting before we went in, yeah, we which, did. which I, at the time I'm like, okay guys, like relax. It's a warehouse. And then when we got in there, you know, I, I, I understood. I said, oh wow. Yeah. I'm glad we had that safety meeting because I would have, I would have walked in the path and I would have been squashed by yeah. that, by that large, that large pallet of skis. They move they fast. They do move fast. It, the staging area w- was really cool. Um, 
being able to, it was kind of fun looking through people's orders. I mean, I'm not sure if we were supposed to do that or not, but we were just like, you know, looking at people's orders. Full on cream though. mode, dude. Yeah, it was, it was sweet. Like seeing everyone's orders going to the U.S. Um, that was kind of fun. We didn't see ours, but it was gone. It was because it it's already gone. here, dude. It's That's been true. here for like a month or so. That's very true. So, so nice. So that, that was cool. Berkowitz was taking photos of all, of uh, like all the retailers' orders and like texting people that he knew. Next time I do that, I'm gonna bring like a marker and you know. Write some personal messages. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Dude, you know? no, speaking of personal messages, we talked about this last time. Where are those fucking skis, bro? Uh, you know, they have to be somewhere. They totally are. They totally are. So we requested that they take, I mean, you guys wrote your name on them. It right? says, it says the ski monster on the skis. So that they took him to Q3 immediately and, and incinerated him. No. Um, <laughs> Dude, maybe you guys did a, such a good job building them that they were like, we can't, is a model ski. Let these go out. I <laughs> yeah. may have done well, but I took forever, dude. Oh yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's you went, but like we talked about first time around, you went first. So I, I looked like I was a more seasoned ski vet because I watched you do it. So then I got it. It wasn't a fair. I thing. had, I had some incorrect ingredients as well. So you we did. had to, we had to do some shuffling around. Yeah. The guy, the guy that was helping you out, the, um, he was, he was a little, he was rattled. I mean, with all the experience I have building skis, I was looking <laughs> at this pure preg and I'm like, yeah, this looks a little <laughs> off. It's more like Enforcer 94 versus 104. Corpy would never like design an Enforcer 104 with that kind of prepeg. Ah, this yeah, goes yeah. against all my <laughs> training, but I guess I'll do it. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know where it's at. I have no idea. I'll, I'll get in touch with Flo. I'll get in touch with Manford. And they, they, they knew to save him, but those guys have been on holiday. You know, as you guys know, the European holidays in the summer, they're a big deal. And they yeah. really check out, and they checked out for three weeks. So Flo's been, nice. he's been kite surfing down in Greece for the last three weeks. So he, oh, sick. So yeah. sick, dude. I talked to him the other day. He sounded good. He sounded relaxed. Yeah. Hey, if he comes to the U.S. for whatever U.S. tour, if they, we need to get him on the show. He's fucking hilarious. Oh, dude, he would. You guys can do. You guys can both be on the same time. One hundred percent. He's. I mean, he there's is, no other way to do it. No, there. It have to be. It, yeah. It's that would be that would be awesome because he he's he's hilarious. When when he told, <laughs> never mind. He's hilarious. <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> uh, what one thing too? I want to I want to talk about because it was so awesome and this is like just a brag. Um, getting getting that lunch in Venice. Um, but I looked it up. I can't find that restaurant, dude. What, what was the name of the restaurant that we went to in Venice for lunch? I've never been there either, so I don't know. Well, I'll have to. I'll have to email Ariana, the the lady who set it up, and the one that we took a boat to. Yeah, yeah, the one yeah. Where, we, where we had. That was the, the best risotto I've ever had. Eric wants to pull it up on Google Maps, and then when he's eating his lunch here, just <laughs> 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 set it up. <laughs> eating Dinos. <laughs> I'll dig it up. Be, because it was it was awesome. It obviously wasn't in. It was part of the the uh, you know all the islands that comprise of Venice. But we took a boat and it was probably like a what twenty five ish thirty minute minute boat ride to one of the smaller islands. And that that restaurant was awesome. That was off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. That was. I mean, the Chil- we had Chilean sea bass, and I think that was the best risotto I think I've ever had that, in my life. That was incredible. No, I mean, of all the times I've been to the factory, I've been to Venice. I mean, we we did roll out the red carpet for you guys when we. When we did that, it was that awesome. trip, I mean that was that was really cool, and I, I can I can try to get the name of the restaurant and put it. It's probably one of those places that they don't have even have like a website. You have to like know someone who's like third generation Italian mm-hmm. Venetian to yeah. be able to like, you know, you can get a reservation or a spot there. I, I really looked it cool. up on on, on Google uh, or like Google Earth. I was trying to figure out. I'm like, all right, we went by this this island. I'm like, okay, I remember that. Remember that, and I've tried to find it. So we went and out I, past. I can't find it. So there's Venice, and then there's Murano, and then there's Burano. Burano. So I think it was it was just just beyond Burano. So okay. In, in your next Google search, you can because I was yeah I, I I've tried and it's like I, I remember we what we went through like those little canals you know we had a park and there's a little bridge like I can I could picture it in my mind but looking at uh, like uh, at Google Earth <clears throat> excuse me I can't I can't I can't find it so we're gonna have to find the name of the restaurant because because I it's been bothering me for okay. a while. And then we'll we'll have to go back. Oh, definitely, definitely have to go back. I mean, Venice. We're, hold on, yeah, we're going back next spring, and then the spring after, then the spring after, then the spring it's, after, it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's annual. Yeah, I, that, that, yeah, it's gonna be fine. It's annual. Yeah, it's all good. You guys, uh, you, the, 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 you guys gonna force me into saying something that I shouldn't, <laughs> and, then, and then hold it over my head for five years? Anyone got a Connect Four board game? <laughs> Funny you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna bust out a quick game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, Venice, though, before before we move on from Venice, the 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 spritz on the go in Venice is. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I've traveled to Europe many many times, but like 
whatever it is in Venice, they like they want you to take it on the go. They, they don't want, want you to leave. They want you to leave. They're like, here, turn and burn, turn and burn. Like, go, just take your spritz and walk, walk away. And it was the spritz, spritz on the go is, is take the, the spritz, go. walk away. That's it. <laughs> Break the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Walk away. Walk away. It's like a rental shop. You Rex Mondo. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the spritz on the go there was was a was quite a surprise, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Venice, Venice was, we had a good time. The, the, honestly, the, the varying levels of price of spritz there was also kind of interesting. It, it's in, Yeah, 100%. So you have the, the holy grail of Venice, right? And it's like every Instagram influencer has posted a picture from San yeah. Marco Square, mm-hmm. right? Like if you don't have one of those pictures on your feed, you... What are you doing? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not an influencer. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> any, oh no. anything... <laughs> Any spritz that is on San Marco Square is five, six, eightfold. Oh yeah. Versus it is like three streets over. So like yeah. three streets over will be like you know four euro, four fifty, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get down there and it's like a twenty dollar spritz. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh it, it was goodness. it was awesome seeing the progression because we started on the outskirts yeah, and yeah. we worked our way towards St. Mark's Square and every single place has a little you know blackboard outside that says you know spritz with the price. So it started like you said at like three fifty. Four dollars, and then another, you know, ten minutes walk. You're like eleven dollars, eighteen dollars. We we got spritz with the with the guy playing whatever he was playing. It was awesome. And I think it, they were twenty five bucks. Yeah, or twenty five euro. Yeah, you guys should do that with skis. You guys get closer to winter. You just keep <laughs> yeah. raising the price. It's like yeah. it's like the epic pass. You know. Like yeah, epic. dude. Just wh- why don't you get, yeah, get we, market? Get, screw map pricing. We need market market pricing. market pricing. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, it's like yeah, it's a you, fucking bull market, dude. Yeah. Let's go. Exactly. It's snowing out. Hundred dollars more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want this? You want this tonight? <laughs> We're trying to go back to Venice next spring, so prices are going up, <laughs> way up. Yeah, yeah. Venice was cool. Really, really cool. I think. I think though. Looking back on it, I mean, where Alberto lives, the town of Treviso, I mean, if, if we if you were to live there in, in that part of, of Italy, I mean, that's where you want to live. Absolutely. That's it's my favorite part of the it, it's the entire area. inside the walls of Treviso is it's magical. It is it has all the charm of Venice. Right. You, see, you still have the, the canals and the mm-hmm. cafes and the pizza places. You have all the things, the gelato stands like every five feet, all the all the incredible shopping. But it's only Italians, and they're and they're just living their their Italian lifestyle. Yeah. It's not packed with tourists. You're not running from Barb from Jersey. Who oh, just dude, we look like ship. fucking dude, idiots walking through there. Oh it, yeah, we're, yeah, we're the only ones wearing shorts and a t-shirt. We're way too underdressed. This dude looks at me. You know, I'm with this gaggle of Americans <laughs> where we're all like slightly larger or whatever. And he's like, "What are you doing here? Go back to Venice or go back to America?" I was like, "Oh my god." Did, was, was, that, was that the same guy who asked you if he was like, are you guys a rugby team? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's way less tourists. It was awesome. Oh, dude, that that um, that um awesome olive oil place that you guys took us to? Oh, yeah. The place is awesome, right? Did you guys get anything? Yeah, it got it got taken at the airport. Come on. Yeah, they took it from me. Wait, your olive oil? Yeah, I forgot to put it. I forgot I had it in my bag, in my carry-on. Oh. I completely forgot. And because, you know, it was a, sh- it was a shit show that morning, remember? Because of the, the fire. Do we, I don't know if we told you about that. No. Oh, dude, we waited. So we were like the first ones in line, you know, to get drop our bags or whatever. We were there for over two and a half hours. Standing there in front the, of the in airport front of, broke like yeah. right when we got there. They, none of the Wait, conveyor in, belts in, in Venice. Yeah. Venice. The conveyor belts broke so they couldn't get any bags onto airplanes. And the fire so, alarm was going off for, for like three hours. You just had to stand there and it was like, ming, ming. it was crazy. Yeah. Italian technology. Yeah. So we we <laughs> we we had to change gate. <laughs> we had to change gates. We had to like run to another gate eventually uh, after like two and a half hours, and we, we obviously made it. But it was it was one of those things. It was, it was just chaotic. It was hectic, and I forgot that the olive oil was in my backpack. And by the time we were like, we're finally going through, the lady was like, "You can't bring this on." I'm like, "Fuck it, I just yeah, just take it, just take it." it. it, it he chugged it right there. Yeah, just yeah. like tipped it back. <laughs> <laughs> Like that scene in Super Troopers, but Italian style. Yeah, right? exactly. that, w- that would be the Italian style yeah. version of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's good to know. I mean, I, I have something to bring back for you guys next time I go. Yeah, that all that that space that space was really cool, and I was stoked because I, I bought a bunch of it. I bought some for like for my for my family, and then of course we were just kind of running wild to, to to get out of there, so I lost it. Which is it's all good. We'll go back and get some more. Mm-hmm. Now you have good. to go back. Now we have now, to. Go now, back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you have to go back. So so yeah. Corby, dude, this was awesome. And we just crushed through that. 
That was so fast. Burned him. I mean, I can't believe we. it's already been an hour. I can't believe it. it get I, feel like, I feel like we're just getting started. I feel like we just got here. I know. We, I feel like we could keep talking about... <laughs> we, we could talk about whatever we, yeah, for a we long could, time. Yeah, exactly. We could go, <laughs> we could, we could go all we day We could start here. spritzing right now, and then we can get real spicy. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess that, that would be like an eight-hour uh, podcast, would which awful. would be fine. <laughs> I, I think we at like you know probably hour hour two we would be the only people who would be interested in listening to that. But Garrett would he'd make us he'd make us sound good. Things things really start picking up around three and a half four hours. But wait it out. You got to get there. It's like a journey. Yeah, that's right. All right, dude. Well, come back again, obviously with Flo if you can. That would be awesome. Because he has a. You know, he was such an awesome asset when we were there, just from a from from information, sure, but also he, he brought the party. He, he's, a, he's a really, really cool dude. So talking to him and have everybody hear what he has to say would, would be pretty cool. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Corby. Thanks, bro. Thanks, dude. Thank Peace, you. y'all.